Well, welcome this morning to our service where we are recognizing 13 years of God's mercy and faithfulness. Amen. We praise Him today and give Him glory for the things that He has done in helping us to come to this place and to plan for the future. I want to share with you a passage from the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, be turning and finding the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. Um, while you're finding it, just let me remind you about our Good Friday service Friday night here at the field house at 7 p.m. And then, of course, uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Uh, we hope you'll come and bring somebody and let's fill this place up with worshipers next Sunday morning. And uh, today, we hope you'll stay and eat with us and celebrate with us. We've got some good food awaiting. As uh, long as I don't preach too long, we'll be good. It'll be, uh, it'll be ready for us. Mark chapter 11, and I want to begin reading in make that verse 23. Mark 11, 23, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Well, Jesus is beginning his final week uh, here in uh, Mark chapter 11. He's just entered Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified on Friday, final few days of his life. When he had entered the previous Sunday, he went into the temple. You find that in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. And he sort of looked around. He wanted to observe. Didn't do anything. And then the next day, as he came back in, he came across a fig tree. This is in verses 12 to 14. And he was hungry, and it says that the fig tree had leaves. So he went over to get some figs. There, were, there was no fruit on the fig tree. Now the significance there is found in the fact that in, in ancient Israel, the fig tree produced figs before it produced leaves. So... When Jesus saw it had leaves, he assumed it had figs because figs comes first. 
So he found no figs, just an advertisement that says we've, we've got figs, we've got fruit. He cursed the fig tree. The significance being in the fact that he has observed the temple. He's been in Israel for three and a half years and interacted with the leadership and the Pharisees. And he says in, in verse 12 to 14, he observed the fig tree, had no figs, and he cursed it that it might never bring forth figs again. Now, he wasn't having a temper tantrum. He's, he's having a, a teaching, a lesson to his disciples. Hosea 9.10 says, I found Israel like the first fruit on the fig tree. Israel was like a fig tree in first fruits. Wonderful. Nourishing. A blessing. But now he's observed the temple. He's been there. He's in his final week with them. And he's decided that they have advertisement. They've got leaves but no fruit. Words but no deeds. And he says, there will never be fruit on you again. The old covenant was over. And then the next day they're coming back in and he comes to Jerusalem, verse 15. He enters the temple and he turns over the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow, verse 16, anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. See, he is now putting the whip to the money changers. They, would, they had these exorbitant prices to change money into money that could be spent in Jerusalem. The commerce was a, a cheating frenzy. And they sold pigeons, which was the sacrifice for the poorest person, according to Leviticus 1. If you were so poor, you couldn't bring anything else. You could bring a pigeon. They would sell them at these inflated prices. And so Jesus got rid of all that. He said, you've turned the house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a money marketing den of stealers. You're just robbing the people. Now, I give you this information so that you will know what Jesus means when he refers to the mountain in verse 23. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, verse 23, be taken up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes it will come to pass, it will be done. What's the mountain? Well, the temple sat on a mountain. It was called Mount Zion, Micah 4, 7. The Lord will reign over them from Mount Zion. It was the house of God, the temple Solomon had built and rebuilt under Ezra and Nehemiah. And that's, the, that's where God dwelt and could be found and worshipped by people from all nations coming from all over. A house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56, 7. 
I will bring to my holy mountain and make people joyful in my house of prayer. Their offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. So the mountain, I will bring them to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. It was the temple on the mount called Mount Zion. And Jesus is telling his disciples, do you see how Judaism has become corrupt? Do you see how the old covenant has become limited and ineffective? And it has been that way for centuries. You can say to this mountain, this entire religious structure with its ancient traditions, you can speak to it, you can ask God to remove it, and he will do it. What an amazing statement from the Lord Jesus. It would be something like me saying, you can ask God to remove Washington, D.C., and he would do it. He's saying the prayer of faith can rearrange any power structure and overthrow the most ancient tradition. He's saying that any obstacle, no matter how mighty and mountainous, it can be removed by prayer if it stands in the way of the progress of the kingdom of God. It is like the angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, with God, nothing is impossible. So we are celebrating today the 13th anniversary of the Fieldhouse congregation. 13 years ago, New Haven, our mother church on Bristol Road, decided to start a new congregation. Not just relocate, but actually just take some people and on this side of town and reach a new community as well as maintain the old. So we bought 18 acres here. We own these fields, by the way, that's around us here. And we borrowed $1.6 million. <laughs> what an idiot I was. We borrowed $1.6 million to, we had some debt on the old building and we combined it and we built this building, paid for the land, and began our journey of faith. I remember the Sunday evening service where we voted on it. Uh, we didn't need to do this. We had a wonderful congregation on Bristol Road. We had two services. We had a sweet fellowship. I remember sitting my, in my office one day thinking, you know what, I, this is wonderful. Everything's going great. I could ride this gravy train right to retirement. 
And then God spoke to me and said, I want you to take that gravy train and put it on the altar of God. Because we could have lost that building plus this one and I'd be out working at Walmart greeting people. Welcome. Nothing wrong with that. So we borrowed, we voted, and we put our Isaac on the altar that night. And we said, God, we give him to you. It's precious. Isaac to us is precious. This is our only begotten son, a source of joy. And so we did. We went a couple of years made it barely but we were making the payments and then the recession came anybody remember that about 10 years ago ah yes people lost jobs people moved away some had disagreed with our vision they came to me one Sunday night after the service, a few men gathered in our, uh, met me in my office and said, Pastor, we need more vision. I said, okay, I'll pray about that. God gave me one. I led them in it, and they said, we don't like that vision. See, change changes things. The recession came. Income dropped drastically. People moved away, lost jobs, left the church. And we would pray. We would pray, Lord, we believe you led us. We would pray at night. We would pray in the mornings. Sometimes we'd pray alone. Sometimes we'd pray with others. Sometimes we'd pray with fasting. Sometimes we'd pray with praise sometimes we'd pray in despair but we prayed we were reduced we the bank agreed to take just interest payments for a few months and that went on more than a few months then it stretched into over a year maybe two and i knew that wasn't going to continue And one day the bank came to me and they said, Pastor, you owe $1.6 million and we're going to make you an offer. If you can get a loan for $500,000, we will write off $1.1 million. I swallowed and said, okay. (laughs) They took off, wrote off, basically gave us $1.1 million. And I was thinking about this later. If you've figured up how much it cost us to build the field house, 
This, some have said this is overbuilt. This, is, this was built to last a while because we're planning to put a children's building on that end, on that side, and we've got right now saved over $160,000 in cash to do that. So we're heading that direction. Then we're going to put a new sanctuary on this side, facing the road with a beautiful front. Well, that's the vision. But as I was thinking and calculating how much it costs to build this first stage, it was $1.1 million, a million one hundred thousand. You know what that means? That means the bank gave us this whole thing, which means God, in answer to prayer, gave us this whole thing. A million dollar building. You're sitting in a building that the world came to us and said, hey, can we build you a million dollar church? Please let us. This is our idea. And we're just going to give it to you. Or someone comes who's not even a Christian and they say, can we put a million dollar check in the offering this Sunday? Would you be up for that? I'd be like, yeah. I'm good. I'm down with that. He says here, verse 23, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it will be done for him. Therefore, verse 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. So I want to share with you just a few minutes I have left what kind of prayer moves a mountain. Because the church has mountains, but so do individual Christians. So do families. We have mountains to move. Prayer moves mountains, but what kind of prayer is it? And let me give you three quick things. First, the prayer that moves mountains is the prayer that believes God can do anything. It believes in God's power. Look at verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask, notice that, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it will be yours. Believe whatever you ask. Prayer begins by saying, the God who created the heavens and the earth in a mighty display of power and did it out of nothing simply by speaking a word, the most effortless thing you can do and call it an act. If he can then sustain that universe so that waters do not cover the earth or the sun melt the mountains, this God can help me with my little problems in life. Hebrews 1.3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the whole thing. He not only creates it, but daily causes it to be sustained and preserved. 
He keeps the stars in their places and the sun in its orbit. He makes everything work in rhythm. This is the God that we believe in. And if you believe that he can give a hundred-year-old woman, Sarah in the Old Testament, a son when she's a hundred years old, feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes, or that if you believe he raised Lazarus from the dead when he's been dead for four days, then that kind of faith is what you need to meet the problems in your life. You say you believe those things. That God who can do anything. He can do anything. The unlimited, measureless creativity, infinite power of the God of heaven. That's where you begin. That's where you begin. In fact, I remember complaining one time to God when we were in this, I call it, it, was, it lasted about seven years, so I call it my tribulation period because I was praying for the rapture. <laughs> and I, I remember saying to God, God, if you hadn't made these big promises, I wouldn't be in such big trouble. Your promises is what got me here. I tell you, whatever you ask, well, that, that's so measureless. That's a horizon without a limit. These kind of things got me in trouble. But this big God who made big promises, I found comes through in a big way. Hallelujah. Somebody help me preach and glorify God up here. Amen. About to take off a running. That's what I'm about to do. So the first thing you do is you start with the mighty power of God. Here's number two. Prayer that moves mountains. Secondly, gets a partner. Look at verse 24. Therefore I tell you whatever, you'll see the word you ask in prayer. In, in the Greek text, that's a plural. Whatever you all. It's a group. He's addressing a group, not an individual disciple. He's addressing his disciples. Whatever you all ask in prayer. Believe that, and that, here again the plural, you all have received it. And, and then again the plural, it will be yours, all of yours, all of these are plurals. In other words, prayer that has partners is prayer that has power. Amen. I had a prayer partner that would meet with me, uh, Tammy Tipton. Almost at any time I needed to pray, we, and we had a lot of emergencies. My wife, Jan, that over 40 years of marriage, when I have asked her to pray, 
with me? Not one time did she ever say no. She always, always said sure. Man, I appreciate that. And I'll tell you something about my wife, Jan. She's not in here to defend herself. She is the perfect pastor's wife. I mean, I can't imagine. But a perfect pastor's wife, a perfect pastor needs that kind of wife. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> I'm kidding. She's not a perfect pastor's <laughs> wife. <laughs> she ain't in here. I can say what I want to. Matthew 18, 17. If two of you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There it is again. That measureless expanse. If, you, if two of you agree, and the Greek word there is symphony. If you are in uh, uh, a coalition of affection, and your hearts are bound up in having, and you agree this is from God and from each other, and that this glorifies God and, and benefits your, the church and advances the kingdom, and your hearts are in full sentiment with that you can too ask it done see this is why Satan hates marriages so much because you can't find somebody that is more potential for that symphony of prayer than your, than your spouse but this is partnership praying. Verse 24. If you want power in prayer, find a partner in prayer. And then third, look at verse 25 for the third thing that constitutes prayer that moves the mountain. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, that is for that mountain to move, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so your Father in Heaven will forgive you your trespasses. You pray with a forgiving heart. When we went through this period where people were moving away and there was a lot of stress in the church and we put our Isaac on the altar and there were disagreements with the vision that God had given us People said some things. Uh, and a guy told me, before all this happened, he said, Pastor, you know, I've never heard anything bad about you. Everything people say is always good. When we went to plant a church, I told him one day, I said, now I bet you never hear anything good about me. It's amazing. And I was the same person. In fact, I was even nicer. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Some people speak 
rash words like the thrust of a sword. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that when they got done talking to you, you feel like you'd been stabbed about four or five times? But he says, the words of the wise bring healing. Well, I got into some conversations where I felt like I'd been stabbed. And here's, here's my philosophy, I guess, my perspective on all this. If it's unintentional, if somebody offends you unintentionally, ignore it. Proverbs 12, 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. If they don't mean to, well, ignore it. Don't, don't be offendable. Forgive everybody for everything. That's what he says. If you're standing praying, if you have anything, that's the big things and the little things against anyone. That's the big people and the little people. If it's unintentional, ignore it. If it's intentional, forgive it. And I had some things I felt like I needed to forgive. Remember that we had to get a loan. They, were, they said, we'll write off $1.1 million, but you need to get a loan for about $500,000 uh, to give to us because we're going to write, take you off the books. So uh, some other bank's going to have to carry the $500,000. So we went out to get a loan. All I need is $500,000. If I can get $1.5 million, why can't I get $500,000? Well, number one, recession. Nobody's loaning money in a recession. And number two, you're a church. Nobody's going to loan a church money in a recession. Number three, you're in Flint. Nobody's going to loan a church money in a recession in Flint. So I'd pray, God, we have this opportunity. This is incredible. This would really glorify your name, Lord. I can show you exactly where I was standing in the old building at the front on the left-hand side when God said something to me. He said, there's a couple. And he, I knew he gave me their name. He said, I want you to go to them. They had long ago left the church. Having said, and I, I know that they were offended because they wrote me a letter. <laughs> and I don't get that many letters. But I got a letter. So I know they were offended. But I was standing there and God said, I want you to go. And I said, devil, get behind me. I thought it was the devil because it depressed me so much. It was so dark. And then I got to thinking, would the devil tell me to go ask for forgiveness and be reconciled to another brother? I believe they were Christians. I said, God, is that really you? 
Here's something you keep in mind. When God leads you to do something you don't want to do, you, about the best certainty you'll get is 90%. It's afterwards you get to 100 But I said, Lord, I, I believe it's you, and even if it's not you, I don't see what uh, bad can come of it. So I said yes to the Holy Spirit. I drove to their home. And I just sat down. They were attending another church by then. And I said, I, I really just want to be right with God and right with you. And the things that I might have done, I don't know what some of them are, but I ask you to forgive me. And I want you to know that I forgive you for what you have said. And we wept together and prayed together. I got in my car, driving home, and a baptism of the Holy Ghost came on me I have never had before or since. The depths of love and joy and peace was indescribable. And I knew I had obeyed God. And you know what else? I felt the mountain tremble, shake, and begin to budge. That immovable obstacle, that 500,000, I still didn't know where it's coming from, but I felt the mountain move. He says, believe whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it. Believe you have, past tense, received it. I had received it before I had seen it. What an amazing thing. I'd already received it. And sure enough, a bank stepped in. One bank said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. And that was about seven years ago. We've never been laid on any further payments. The strain, the burden is lifted. The mountain moved. You know that mountain that Jesus is referring to? Mount Zion, the hill upon which the house of God sat, the temple. David bought that mountain a thousand years earlier than Jesus' day. Solomon built a temple on it, which was to be a house of prayer for all people. But it had become a stumbling block, an offense to God. The old covenant had become obsolete. And Jesus said, pray to get it out of the way. And you know what's there today? Show us the temple mount today. Here it is. There, that golden dome, it's a Muslim mosque. How tiny it is from that big squared section where the mighty temple, magnificent temple of Solomon used to be. Who could have predicted such removal of such an ancient tradition and an old covenant? But the temple stood in the way of the church the Old Covenant stood in the way of the New. 
Moses stood in the way of Jesus. It had to go. James White tells of going to Moscow, and he's a pastor down in Charlotte, North Carolina. In 1991, he went to Moscow to preach in some services, churches there, large churches, Greek Orthodox churches. This was right after the Soviet Union had fallen. This church was packed to the rafters. And on the front row, he said, was just a whole group of women singing with such passion and intensity. And Pastor White says he looked over at the pastor of the church and he said, who are these women? Remember, this is right after the Soviet Union dissolved and all the nations that once made up that awful atheistic empire had gone their own way and there was only left Russia. And he said, who are these women? And the pastor said, these are the women who prayed communism out of Russia. All the mountains can fall, dear people. The mountains can fall. They can move in answer to the prayer of faith. Believe that God can do anything. Get you a prayer partner. Make sure your heart is cleansed of all bitterness and resentment and go with, an un, with a fully forgiving heart to God and ask Him to move the mountains that keep you from serving God fully. He says He will do it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we appreciate with all our heart everything you've done for us. We are sitting today and worshiping today in a miracle, a mountain-moving miracle that came about by prayer of faith. And I pray that it won't be the last mountain that moves for this church. I pray there will be wonderful miracles to come that this next generation will say, God, move some mountains for me. May they know the power of prayer and faith. And I pray that you would bless each one here today with a heart full of love and joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's receive our regular Sunday morning offering as we worship Him with our gifts. <laughs>